0: Welcome to the Building Wealth Through Commercial Real Estate Podcast, where we will discuss with industry experts on how to create wealth and build passive income from apartment buildings, self-storage, mobile home parks, and much more. Here is your host, Jonathan Way.
1: Welcome to the Building Wealth Through Commercial Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Way, and I'm the founder of Grayson Capital Group, my investment firm. If you're interested in passively investing with us, please visit graystonecapgroup.com and join our Investor Network. Okay, and now on to the show. Hello, Spencer. Thank you for coming on the show. Yeah, Jonathan,
0: thank you so much for having me on. This is a great way to spend the next uh, next few minutes.
1: Yes, yes. Uh, Spencer Hilligros, the CEO and co-founder of Madison Investment, a real estate investor firm, specializing in real estate syndications. As a passive investor and an active syndicator, he understands the unique challenges that busy professionals face when starting out in the real estate journey. Spencer's mission is to arm investors with the know how and how to make confident investment decisions tailored to individual goal, life goals. So that's great. Today, we want to talk about wealth preservation and um, planning your legacy. So, this is great that uh, in the segue, how you say your mission is to help investors make confident decisions and tailor to their individual you know, needs. So, let's talk about that. Spencer, tell us about your wealth preservation um, topic.
0: Yeah. You know, and so thank you again for having me on, Jonathan. I think this is just fun stuff for you and I to talk about, right? Yeah. I mean, we, we wake up and live and breathe this stuff every single day. Yeah. So very, just kind of briefly about me. Um, I wake up out here in Alameda, California, part of the Bay Area every single day and get to work on stuff that I think is so much fun. And it's about trying to deploy our own capital into real estate assets and deals across the country that are really going to align to our long-term goals as a family. I mean, I worked in tech in Silicon Valley here for 13 years. Grew up in a real estate household, actually. My, my dad was a real estate broker in residential uh, for about, gosh, I mean, he, he was very, very top three, high-level high producing broker in the 90s, um, but he was doing that for, you know, decades. And he put me to work. Um, as a teenager, I was having to do open houses. I was having to clean out properties before they, they were gonna get sold or rented. And that's what scared me into tech. <laughs> so, um, you know, I think that right now, uh, I did, you know, quote unquote, retire from my tech career back in October of 2019, five months or so before COVID. Uh, you know, as some people will tend to say when I share that, they'll say like, great timing, but, you know, saying that sarcastically, but uh, in all fairness, it really has been such an incredible journey and blessing. Um, uh, you know, I basically look now every day toward trying to serve our investors. I run Madison Investing uh, along with my, my better half is my COO, Jennifer Morimoto and our kind of lean distributed team where we help other LPs that are limited partners or passive investors and just trying to de-risk these deals, these multifamily and self-storage, you know, both asset classes. I know you're a fan of Jonathan. Um, Yes. Try to de-risk them as much as you can. And that's why we do what we do. And, And so it's, it's changed our life you know this type of investing um, and that's why we were so excited about helping others do it as well because now more than ever uh, as i'm sure you would agree in 2022 as we sit here in q4 as of this recording a lot of people are thinking about things like wealth preservation yes uh, and thinking about well what's the big picture strategy what are the levers that we can all be pulling you know to try to get get a moat built around ourselves and around our family um yes. I, I think The one thing I would share before we um, go a bit deeper here, Jonathan, as well, is that there was like a dark decade, if you want to call it that, in my early upbringing, and it's tied back to all the topic of wealth preservation and playing financial offense and financial defense. And when my dad was a broker, I was working for him. You know, we had one family income, active income, one hundred percent commission from my dad. And you know, Robert Kiyosaki and, and Rich Dad Poor Dad, which literally everyone out there in real estate investing knows. I mean, he talks about, you know, the the buckets and the pipeline and how the figurative way you trade time for money, you go to a job, you're a contractor or you're a broker, like my dad, if he stops working, that income stops flowing. Whereas, man, you can build pipelines, pipelines of cash, pipelines of wealth to sustain your family. If God forbid forbid, something happened. And unfortunately, that's kind of what happened to our family in that in that era um, and why we call it the dark decade. You know, we lost our active income stream or downsized significantly because I lost my younger brother to cancer many years ago. Uh, there was a divorce, you know, back-to-back other hardships and losses along the way then. And like seeing that happen for our family, translating that forward now to our own family with dozens of income streams coming in that we've worked so hard to build a moat around our family with and our children. Mm-hmm. You know, yes. I think that that's... That's been the name of the game for us now. After 13 years of dumping all of our income and W-2 jobs for Jennifer and I into 401ks, um, 401ks, yeah, yeah. yeah and, and just celebrating that. Uh, now we, we just do things very differently, and and I think that the pipeline versus the bucket is the best possible way for us to go and figure out how to de-risk our own lifestyle and our volatility to serve others. You know, and now yeah. I can sit here and help others. Build that same kind of uh, playbook and strategy. Okay, so, great. yeah, as far as wealth preservation goes, I would say we're just in a stronger footing now than ever, and uh, it's a relevant topic because I think quite a few folks are learning the hard way, unfortunately, that the stock market can't be your only place where yeah. you uh, quote-unquote diversification. Right? Yeah.
1: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I remember that, and I know lots of things go up and down stocks, and I can't control it. So I hated that that I didn't have no control over stocks. One tweak can just best- append one stock to the in, you know? So I just didn't like that. So that's why I like real estate because tangible and it's something that you know that's gonna be there. That's why I, I, like, I like real estate. That's why I went, I went that route versus, you know, just all stocks and everything.
0: Yeah, I mean, hard assets. You know, when I first heard that term in my journey of, you know, 2016 to 2019, roughly, that was the last company in the W2 world that I was working in. And I never thought I was gonna be a people leader, manager of people and all that stuff. Um, but I bring it up because we're sitting there looking at all. I've worked at Lending Home. It was the biggest fix and flip or hard money lender in the country. We were doing up to 600 deals per month. And wow. I was the guy brought in to go and help build the origination groups and train all these different teams. And wow. I mean, I, I bring that up because ultimately it's pretty cool to be part of you know doing $4 billion in loans for fix and flippers. But it's even more fascinating all the knowledge that was gleaned. From that experience i remember seeing hard assets and the first time i heard that hard assets i was like what does that even mean Uh, um yeah and it sounds like such a word an intro rookie question now but hard assets just the opposite of a paper asset such as stocks right and if a big building full of real human beings and their families of 200 to 300 400 plus units sitting in dallas texas is sitting there. You can actually invest in that type of thing. I was sitting there going, "Wow, that is a much more stable sounding way, a predictable sounding way for me to go and actually place fifty k, one hundred k of my own money, as opposed to a sure a, a fund of some sort with a four hundred one k custodian who's taking big fees out of my own yes. <laughs> out of my own savings, yes. Yes. you know, and, and ultimately probably putting it into some big you know blue chip companies that ultimately yes. may or may not serve." the the needs of their customers in ways I agree with or don't. And so, yeah. yeah, the hard asset play has been huge. And And I think on, you know, last thing I'll mention on this topic is like when it came to hearing those words of like hard assets and like really just sparking curiosity, I think that that's something I always like to, like to ask people first and foremost is like, have they ever thought about, you know, even looking at actual diversification? Because like diversification doesn't just mean going and picking like one stock, like as opposed to Tesla, this time I'm branching way out and doing Apple. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, yeah. That, that, we all know that that's not actual diversification, but wealth preservation, when it comes to a high inflation environment, like we're in looking beyond the headlines and just saying, oh, wait, I'm, everyone keeps saying I'm supposed to be investing differently to combat inflation. Well, what it actually means is I'm out there looking for ways to at least find something return wise for my own money that can pace because yes. because the rents in these types of deals yeah. track with the inflation numbers, typically, if you look at yeah. the historical data. And so yes. that's just an amazing light bulb moment, I think, for a lot of folks, as we've been just educating them, getting them comfortable with it like we are, because uh, the rewards are sweet if it goes well and, and you take the time to de-risk them and vet them, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, exactly. As You always got to de-risk and vet them and make sure that it's a good, it's a good it's a good, uh, you know, project you're going into. And then if it's good, then you could probably get rewarded fairly well. I know, re- you know, the past recently, bought a couple of years ago, they've done very well because it increased the value added. And, you know, some deals are very, 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 done very, fairly well executed. So, yeah. That's awesome. So, yeah. But that's great. That's great. So that's great. So what do you think, Um, I guess, like a in passive investor will come to you and, and ask you questions like, you know, why, like why multifamily? Why should I invest in multifamily versus stock? And what would you say to them?
0: Yeah. You know, so when folks are kind of feeling out and and you've gone through this and I've gone through this earlier in our journeys, right? Everyone does. And they're feeling out that higher level kind of education lingo would be like one on one level of kind of what should I do now? Which asset classes do I align with? Which one's best serve my goals? It really just comes down to, well, let's think about it. The difference would be there's actually physically something there. (laughs) like a physical thing in the real world at a most fundamental level. It has an address, right? Yeah. Um, But furthermore, there's also this idea of value add, just like you eloquently put earlier. So you can't necessarily go buy a a share of stock and then go do some sort of business plan up against driving the changes in that company. (laughs) Of course, it sounds kind of silly to say it that way. Right. But you go buy an apartment building, there's actually some stuff you could do and Mm -hmm value add in this case can mean really just two things at a high level. It makes it sound easy, which it's absolutely not. If you're an active investor, you're actively buying, competing to win these these 400 unit properties. You're going to go buy it, close on it, celebrate, but then the real work starts. And the value add means operations. That's level one, lever one. You're going to go buy that building, take a look at, well, is it being managed well? You know, are 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 the the tenants being given a great experience of living. But you can also increase revenue and decrease expenses. And that's just the basics of, of of course, good business. But that's one piece of that value add play. So you can do that kind of stuff to these hard assets. And on the other side, you can renovate and you can change it. You can physically modify and and improve. And so doing that to the the units, the interiors, uh, doing that to the exteriors and trying to make smart investments without over-investing all those things, takes time, you know, it takes maybe 18, 24 months to do that kind of stuff to a very large apartment building. But that's about as deep as I would go when someone is just first kind of wrapping their heads around that introductory level of question, right? Where they're trying to figure out, well, what's the difference between a stock? Why wouldn't I just go invest in the stuff that I know, the stuff that I see on CNBC, right? Um, All of those, those considerations are important, but I even say more fundamentally. Before we even talk about multifamily stuff with a new investor, I wish someone had simply just asked me, Jonathan, before my first LP investment. I wish they had asked me, "Are you going? Like, what's your goal? Like, like, what's your goal for cash flow, or what's your goal for growth? Do you have a goal?" And the singular number that I wish someone had pushed me on. And it took Jennifer, my my wife and co-founder and COO. It took us two full weekends. This is this is years ago now. Mm-hmm of we had our our two young boys go, go stay with some friends. And we took the whole weekend to plan things out just to get down to that singular number for our goals and say, this is the amount of income passive we want to target. And if we can get there, let's, let's make it time bound. Let's go put like a number of years up against this. If we can start making moves to go and hit that target, then we'll be sitting really confidently family will be stable all those things so when if an investor comes over and they ask well on a fundamental level how should i think about multifamily, or even or even self-storage or these these other asset classes that you and i appreciate yeah I, I kind of try to click them up one level higher you know and just say happy to go into that guys and we will but let's just get more fundamental here why are we doing it are we doing it because because you, you think it's it's cool maybe you saw a sponsored ad on facebook that, that caught, caught your eye, <laughs> you know, <laughs> And maybe someone had a friend, at, you know, at work who said, yeah. you should really take a look at investing in real estate. Yeah. And unfortunately, none of us really got the financial education. I certainly didn't, um, that, that, that I, that we all need and my, I like for my kids, they don't get it from school. Um, and I thought, unfortunately back in college, I was uh, not exactly excited about finance. Um, I was yeah. more excited about, you know, high school for programming. And then also in college, there was always snowboarding and beer, um, <laughs> but uh you know i i think that's really the altitude that's most helpful at first because folks go very laser focused as new aspiring overly excited lps Uh um, and they don't necessarily need to get as nerdy as i did i mean i read 24 books in an 18 month period uh when i first got into it listened to over 400 podcasts just like this uh, just you know just like yours with quality education and uh Probably could have pulled the trigger earlier, uh, yeah. and, and yeah. I think maybe five books was enough, maybe six books was enough. But yeah. you know, new passive investors don't have to go that crazy. Uh, that, that, <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. that's the whole benefit of being passive is that yeah. the only active work for the passive investor is before you actually wire those funds and before yeah. you sign the subscription documents and all those things. Yeah. So yeah. that's that's really where I think it's it's typically most helpful. And I wish I had gotten that that help um, when I was oh. first. Putting our family strategy together
1: oh okay yes yes that's great yeah i think if you had someone to tell you oh this is what to watch out for or here's what you're supposed to do here's a ppm what's ppm Yeah. And what's a what's a credit investor or not because you didn't probably know what a credit investor was a non-credit investor so that that could have been very helpful yeah if we had like a mentor or someone like that to help you like a big brother that would have been helpful but i guess you had no big brother you read all these books and there's a lot of books you read to just become to understand all these things that's quite a lot but you went through it that's, that's amazing let's that's, give you credit for that uh, you know, normally my first, yeah, <laughs> my first LP was, you know, was in Michael Blanc's deal and I was a student. I said, you know what, I'll put 50000 in because he's my mentor. I'm going to, you know, trust him and I'll learn from him too and shadow him. You know, and that's how I did it, you know, so.
0: Oh, and that's a wonderful way to do it. I mean, I think that if someone is looking at it as that first deal, it sounds like similar to you, which is yeah. invest in it because you want to actually make a good investment. But in conjunction with that, someone can learn yeah. and the degree to which they learn something from an lp investment really comes down to their motivation right
1: <laughs> yes yes it does, it does because
0: yeah. it, i will say that every once in a while we'll have that conversation with new aspiring lps who may even maybe they want to do their own deal someday you know yes. maybe they want to get active and more power to them if they want to do that but mm-hmm. uh, it very clearly is that distinguishing type of question for someone on how active do you want to be yeah if someone really wants to go active and, and they're signing up for a job, not a hobby, right? Um, yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. You know this.
1: <laughs> yes. Yeah. So it's a lot of work, it's a, a major amount of work, especially after you close. That's where the real work begins. That's really hard. That's a really hard, you know, laborist job that you have to make sure you're on top of it. And, you know, as human nature, over time, property managers, you know, kind of tend to go downward. So you have to make sure to always motivate it and always do an optimum job to give you KPI, you know, in line. <laughs> so that's. Yeah. That's the hard part. It's also managing people and managing a team. That, that's hard too. So
0: very much so. Yeah. yeah, I mean, universal across not just real estate, but but in the corporate world too. You know, and, and yeah. so I think, I think you nailed it.
1: Yeah. So great. That's great. Awesome. So, what's your um in, in conclusion? What's your best advice to our listeners? Are like you say you know, Joe president the best advice ever. What do what are you say in this in the show?
0: Yeah. I mean, two things. I would say first and foremost, be curious. As simple as that sounds, uh, it all stems from that. You know, okay. really i myself and many others out there didn't care about finance and investing it put me to sleep many years ago oh. and this is even coming from a guy that spent 13 years in fintech or financial tech companies you know at companies like like intuit and then other <laughs> ones, you know smaller ones like zero you know that was the world i lived in and mm-hmm. even in that context I still didn't get the, I didn't get it. You know, I grew up in a real estate household, still didn't get it. And I mean, I think that all that to say, be curious, you know, take a look and model yourself, model your behaviors, your habits, your goal setting processes after people who are living life and building wealth at a level that you aspire to. I mean, just, you know, I think there was actually the CEO, i got to give credit to him, the CEO of Intuit many years ago, uh, Brad Smith. I mean, he said guys, there's not, there's nothing wrong with being a thief of good ideas. Right. And it doesn't mean go out and steal stuff from people. What it means is like borrow the smart uh, playbooks that are already already developed out there. So I would say, be curious, you know, it, but beyond that set goals, you know, it's set hard, a you know, g- a good goal setting. Everyone says, "Oh, coach, sure. Set goals. The new student says, oh, set goals, but just tell me what to do. And I'm like, no, <laughs> no, no <laughs> I'm not, not going to tell you what to do, new investor, because that's the hard work. That's the work that no one can spoon feed you. Yeah, um, yeah. It has to truly be done by that one individual. And that's why it took two whole weekends for Jennifer and I to set our singular, simple sounding goal of X amount of dollars per month, what we need to be passive. And that, that those weekends required some arguing, some yeah, reconciliation, yeah. there was maybe some laughter, some tears and multiple cycles over and get clear on those goals. It is so so incredibly important.
1: I see. That's great. That's wonderful. Thank you very much, Spencer. I appreciate you coming on the show. Yeah, thank you, Jonathan. Thanks for listening. For more information, you can find us online at
0: www.greystonecapgroup.com. Check back weekly for new episodes. See you again next time.